1 Peter chapter 4 this morning, uh, verses 12 through 19. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, you can find one underneath the seat uh, in front of you or underneath your seat. If you don't own a Bible, you can go ahead and take that one home with you this morning. That's our gift to you today. So while you're doing that, while you're taking out your copy of, of God's Word, I want to ask you all a question. Is everybody in here familiar with the website SparkNotes? Show of hands. Okay, few. We got a few. Okay. If you're not familiar with the website SparkNotes, this is a website that's been around since about 1999, and it's grown in popularity as the internet age has come on. And this is a website that will give you a very fast rundown of almost any book out on the market today. Uh, it will give you the overall plot of the novel, the overall character analysis, the ending of the book, basically the quick synopsis of, of a book. Uh, basically, without reading the book, you can get a good handle of the book in just a few minutes on SparkNotes. And for some of us that were procrastinators as students, um, you can get a good enough idea of a book that you, you got assigned to read a month, which I've done many times in my life. And so, and by a show of hands, I see that some of us have also done that. We've also uh, been saved by SparkNotes uh, when we were in a, a pinch and needed, and needed to write that book report quickly before the next day. Not that we condone that, but that's, uh, that, that's happened to me as well. Well, if you've been with us uh, this past four weeks in this First Peter series, if you've been attending with us, um, the Apostle Peter, you know, has given us a lot of information on how we as Christ followers are to handle suffering for righteousness sake. And there have been a, a lot of commands and a lot of preparation and a lot of actions and reactions that we are to have as we encounter suffering. So if you've missed that, like there's been a lot of that, no worries. If you've missed any of the past four weeks, Peter today, as he rounds out chapter four, is going to give us the spark notes version, right? The quick rundown of how we are to handle suffering as Christ followers. A little bit of review, but in a sense, a quick synopsis of everything he said over the past few verses on how we are to handle suffering as Christ followers. Now, I encourage you, if you weren't here with us to go back and listen to the teachings and the, from the last few weeks and read the entirety of this letter of 1 Peter because Peter gave us in great detail every way that we can prepare to withstand suffering as Christ followers. Um, but today, we'll get an overall direction on the matter of responding to suffering for the name of Jesus. As we prepare to close out this series next week, there are four points that Peter's going to show us today that he wants us to, to stick, that he wants to stick in us as we encounter persecution for our faith. And so that's what he's going to do. He's going to show us four points to just stick in our hearts as we move out of his first letter here, his first epistle. And the first point we're going to see is this. As Christ followers, Peter's been telling us we must expect suffering. Look with me in verse 12 of chapter 4. He says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Now again, if you've been with us through the, throughout this series, you know that Peter has not hesitated to warn us 
to warn these Christ followers uh, in Asia Minor that persecution is going to come. It's coming their way. So again, he's opening up here with a bit of a recap. He's really driving the point home that persecution will come. In fact, this entire first letter to the Christians in Asia Minor has been dedicated to warning and preparing these people to withstand persecution and suffering as Christ followers. But this isn't just centralized to this region, right, or this time period. There's a lot for us to glean from it. This persecution has been happening all over the world since the day that Jesus hung on the cross. It was something that Jesus himself prepared his followers for. If we look in John chapter 15, verses 18 through 19, Jesus told his followers this. He says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And so without this warning that we see in 1 Peter, without the warning that Jesus gives us, these Christians in this region would have been confused and troubled for the fact that they are being persecuted for doing good and persecuted for pursuing righteousness. This would have been confusing. It would have been strange to them. Why are we being persecuted when we're doing good things? But thankfully, we have the word. Right? The word of God prepares our minds and hearts for this persecution so that we're not confused and not surprised by it. And this is exactly what Peter is doing here in verse 12 as he sums up all his teachings on sufferings in this letter. He tells us that we should be prepared Right? We should expect suffering. But next, the word of God transitions to how we are to respond to suffering now that we are expecting it. Right? In the next few verses, Peter's going to show us two ways we are to respond to suffering. The first way is this. We are to expect suffering and rejoice in it. Right? Read with me here in verses 13 through 14. The Bible says this. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Again, Peter here is reminding his audience that we are to rejoice in suffering for righteousness sake. Uh, over the past 10 weeks, right, we've been hearing this. This isn't a, a shock to us that we are to rejoice in suffering. We've been hearing this over and over again as we've walked line by line and verse by verse through this series in 1 Peter, through this letter. We have seen the same point being made again and again in chapter 1, verse 6, chapter 2, verse 20, chapter 3, verse 14. Over and over again, rejoice in suffering. You are blessed in suffering. And Peter is driving this point home because there is hope in suffering. In verse, he 12, in verse 12, he tells us to expect suffering. In verse 13, he tells us to rejoice in suffering. Because we are suffering for righteousness' sake. When we are doing that, we know it is happening to us because we are of Christ. And as we just saw in John chapter 15... 
The world hated Jesus. And because you are of Jesus and not of the world, the world will hate you as well. But because we belong to Christ, because we are of Christ, those of us who have given our lives over to him, we rejoice in this persecution because we know we have an eternal glory through Jesus. Right? It's through Jesus that we have eternal life, a promised inheritance in heaven. Right? We are blessed and we rejoice because Jesus has promised us a perfect and eternal inheritance. Again, Jesus himself confirmed these words right? in Matthew 5 when he, when he preached the, the Sermon on the Mount. He says this in Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Look what he says here in verse 12. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Right? When we share in the sufferings of Christ, we share in the glory of Jesus because we are his. We belong to Jesus. And this is why we rejoice in that suffering. This needs to be our first response, as Peter's calling it here. Our first response is to rejoice when we encounter hardships in the name of Jesus. The second response we are, ha- we are to have it lies here in the next two verses. In verses 15 through 16, read with me here, our eyes back on the text. Verse 15 says this, But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. This is the second response that the word is calling us to have here today as Christ followers. We are to respond by glorifying Jesus, right? As Christ followers, we are to expect suffering and we are to rejoice in it, glorifying Jesus. Peter first says, as we opened up here in verse 15, he says, don't suffer for unrighteous things. So before he gets to glorifying Jesus, he says, first, don't don't suffer for unrighteousness. He's giving a bit of clarity here. Don't suffer because you have done evil or caused yourself suffering by sinning. He's being specific. The suffering he is talking about, the type of suffering he is discussing, is the suffering for righteousness' sake, suffering for the name of Jesus, for doing the works of Jesus, for proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. In fact, he says in verse 16, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So he's talking about glorifying, suffering and glorifying God as a Christian in the name of Christ. Now, if you look at this word Christian here, as it's used here in in 1 Peter, if you do some background research on the origin and title of this title, the origin and beginnings of this title, Christian, the word we use today to describe one another, you will find that this wasn't a name made by the apostles. It wasn't a name that believers in the first church called each other and called each other Christians. They used 
They use words like faithful brother or faithful sister, saints. Right? Paul addresses uh, the believers in, in the churches as saints, as, as beloved, as Peter does here. Right? They didn't address each other as Christians. In fact, this was a name given to those people who followed Christ by the world. Right? This was a name given to them by the world, not by the apostles. Now, we can find the word Christian in the Bible, and it's one of its first uses in Acts chapter 11. We're in the city of Antioch, a city in which happens to be in Asia Minor, where Peter's writing this letter to. The apostles were first called Christians by the people there in Antioch. This was a title given to those who worship Jesus. In the Greek, the title Christian was the word Christianos. Say it with me, Christianos. Okay, you know some Greek. Here we go. I had to pay a lot of money to get that information, see? This word Christianos, meaning worshiper of Christ, right? That's what that word Christianos means, worshiper of Christ. This was a title given to the Christ followers in the region, and it was given to them in direct opposition to the name or title of the rest of the region who worshiped Caesar, right? The Greek word Caesar is the word Kaiser. And so the people in this region were called Kaiserianos, or those who worship Caesar. So, so the name Christian was given to people who did not worship Caesar, who, as we know, was in command of everything in this region. Right, being in direct opposition of Caesar meant you were going to definitely be greatly persecuted. Anything opposite of, the Caesar, uh, of Caesar was going to try to be destroyed by Caesar. So this title of Christian was a name that prompted hatred and persecution from the world for those who bore it. But Peter states here in verse 16 that we are not ashamed when we are persecuted for the name Christian. We are not to be ashamed, but instead we are to glorify God in that name, the name of Christ worshiper. But what does that look like? Right, what does it look like to glorify Jesus in that name of Christ worshiper? What's it look like to glorify Jesus in suffering for his name? Well, there are a lot of examples of this in, in the Word, but one of my favorite examples, uh, uh, textbook examples of, of what it looks like to glorify Christ in times of suffering is in Acts chapter 16. So if you would right now, turn to Acts chapter 16 in your Bible. We're going to spend a little time here running deep through, through this text in Acts 16. So if you have the Bible in front of you right now, turn to Acts 16. If you're on your phone, get to Acts 16. We're going to be in verse, starting in verse 16 in Acts chapter 16. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, Acts, Acts, the book of Acts is, is the book comes right after the Gospel of John. It's the fifth book in the New Testament. You're going to go to chapter 16, verse 16. And here, again, we will see a textbook example of how we are to react to suffering for the name of Jesus. Here, we're going to see Paul, the Apostle Paul, and his friend Silas, his fellow brother Silas, respond to persecution as they preach the gospel and heal a woman in Philippi. So if you would, again, look with me, Acts chapter 16, 
verse six, starting in verse 16 to 26, the word says this. As we, Paul and Silas, were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this kept going for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in, attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and ordered them to be beaten with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. How do Paul and Silas respond to this? Look with me in verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. This is a textbook example of how we, as Christ's followers are to react to persecution, react to suffering, glorifying God. These two men were arrested. They were stripped naked. They were beaten and thrown in prison for a righteous action. Right? They, they saved a woman from a demon. Right? They were preaching the gospel. They were seeing people be saved. They were thrown in prison for it. Right? They were treated unjustly. And they were innocent of the crime for which they were being punished. And yet they took the punishment. And how do they respond? They respond by worshiping Jesus. Right? They respond by glorifying the Lord in worship. The word says in the KJV, they sang praises unto God. Naked, bloodied, locked in chains. And they're worshiping Jesus for it. This is how we are to spawn, respond, church, to persecution. This is how we are to respond to suffering for Jesus' name. When we are experiencing persecution, whether it be at work or in the community or maybe in school or maybe in our own families, the Bible tells us over and over and over again to expect to suffer for the name of Jesus. Christians all over the world are suffering right now. They're being beheaded in the Middle East and beheaded in Africa, thrown into prison in China, executed in public in North Korea. 
when any of this persecution comes to our doorstep, we are to rejoice in it and glorify Jesus for the fact that we can bear the name Christian and be persecuted as he was. And I understand that this is confusing for some of us in the room. Especially if you're not a Christ follower, this might be confusing to you. Like, why this reaction to suffering? This might sound crazy. If you're here with us today, maybe someone brought you here this morning and you haven't given your life over to Jesus. You may be asking yourself this very question about what we just read. Why do people follow Jesus if it means that we will suffer for following him? Why would you follow Jesus if it could cost us everything, even our lives? Peter's final three verses in chapter 4 answer that question. What he's going to show us here is we follow Jesus, even though we know we will suffer for his name. We rejoice in it. We glorify God because he has saved us. Look with me in verses 17 through 19. The Bible says this, For it is time for judgment to begin out the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Right, the Bible tells us here that we will all be judged. We will all stand before God and be judged for our actions. We all have a sin problem, amen? All of us, both Christians and non-Christians, we have all sinned. We all fall short of God's glory. At some point, we have all lied or coveted or lusted or we've broken God's law. We've fallen short. The Bible tells us that we will be judged for those sins. And as enemies of God in our sin, we deserve the wrath of God. We deserve eternal death. But those who place their faith in Jesus are saved from sin and death. Now look what Paul says here in Ephesians chapter 1 in verse 7. He says this, In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, the forgiveness for our sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making it known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. He goes on to say in verse 13, In him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of of his glory. Right, this is why we as Christ followers react differently to persecution and suffering. We are to rejoice and glorify Jesus because he has saved us from a death that we deserved. And if you're not a follower of Jesus today, you're in this room with us today, I plead with you, hear what the Bible is telling you. Hear what God's word is telling you. 
just like me and everyone else in this room, you are a sinner. And the penalty for your sin is eternal death. And if the story ended there, there would be no hope for any of us. All of us would be dead. But Jesus came down, God in flesh came down, who was perfect, without spot, without blemish, and took on your sin. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for you. And gave you his righteousness. Now you were guilty standing before God. And you were given a death sentence. And just before the gavel falls, Jesus steps in front of you, completely innocent, and took on the death sentence that you deserve. That's what's happened. It's only through faith in his shed blood solely through faith that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and through his resurrection from the death that you can be saved. As we just read what Paul said here in Ephesians 1, hear the word of truth. Hear the gospel that's being preached to you, that Jesus took on the death that you deserved, that he was buried in a tomb, that on the third day he rose to defeat sin and death, for all who place their faith in him and in him alone. All right, hear this gospel, believe it, place your faith in it, your eternal life in it. Be saved from eternal death. All right, it's a free gift. All you have to do is believe it, place your faith in it. Hear it this morning. I, I plead with you, if you're, if you're in this place today and you do not know Jesus, I plead with you, place your faith in him today, right now, right this second. Because the Bible tells us over and over again, the time of judgment is coming. It's coming. Every day we wake up in our beds, we are one day closer to that day. And even without that, when the Lord will judge, and the Lord will judge, Without placing your faith in Jesus, what will happen to you? Why, right, if you are standing before God for your sins without faith in Christ, what's going to happen to you? In fact, what will happen to you if you die this very day? If you're sitting in this seat right now and you have zero faith in Christ, ask yourself that question. What will happen to me if I die today? Let that sink in and hear the gospel hear it and place your faith in it. You do not have to die. You can live eternally through the shed blood of Jesus. Hear the gospel, believe in it, and be saved from eternal death through your faith in Christ. And if you're in this room, you've already placed your faith in Jesus. You've been a follower of Jesus. The Bible tells us we've been eternally sealed we must remember always this gospel. Right, this is, isn't just something that we, we jump off of. We, we, we heard the gospel when we first got saved, you know, 10 months ago, 10 years ago, 50 years ago. 
this is something that we have to swim in every single day, the gospel of Jesus. We must remember it. We must worship him for it. We need a constant reminder of the gospel because it is the gospel of Jesus that will move us to rejoice and glorify him when suffering comes. We need to remember this truth that Jesus died for us on the cross, that he gave his life up for us, that first he took on the cross before the crown. We need a constant reminder of the gospel as believers. And we're going to have time of remembering the gospel right now as a body of Christ. As we close out our time this morning, we're going to take communion together as a body of Christ, a body of believers. And this is a time for us as Christ followers to remember exactly what Jesus did for us on the cross and worship him for it. To spend time in prayer with him now, remembering his gospel. We need this constant reminder of what he did for us out of his love for us. And we don't just do this as a ritual. This is something we just do because it's Sunday and it's church and the, the, the calendar date rolled around where it's time for communion. We do this because we need the constant reminder of Christ's love for us in our lives. We do this because he's commanded us to do it in his word. So we're going to take some intentional quiet time as a church body and pray and remember Jesus' death on the cross, the blood spilled that gave us eternal life, and we're going to worship him for it. Now again, communion is a time for those who have placed their faith in Jesus. So if you have not trusted Jesus with your eternal salvation, if you're in this room and you're not a Christian, you don't follow Jesus, I ask you not to partake in this, but instead take time and reflect on the questions that have been asked to you and the gospel that's been preached to you this morning. Take time to reflect on the gospel that Jesus took on your death so that you could live eternally through faith alone in him. So we're gonna take this time in silence to pray and to remember as a, as a body of Christ the love that Jesus showed us on the cross and then we will take the bread and the cup together as a body here in just a moment. So let's pray.
Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread, and we had given thanks. He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. In the same way, he took the cup and after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take a drink. Pray with me, church. Father, we love you, Jesus. We praise you and worship you, Jesus today and every day for everything that you've done for us, Lord. And if you do not one more thing for us, we still get on our faces and praise you and worship you for what you did on the cross. The love you have for us, Father, that you, knowing that we are sinners, knowing that we would fall short, still came down in flesh and died for us, took on our sin though you were perfect you took on our death penalty because you loved us Father we praise and worship you for that we praise and worship you for your word that you would prepare us to suffer in your name but above all else Father we praise you that you would take us as broken people, as sinful people And through your sacrifice would make us worthy to suffer in your name. You're calling us here to rejoice, Jesus. Rejoice in suffering, to glorify you in it. We know that's because we are blessed to bear the name of Christian, which will cause that suffering. We are blessed to suffer for your name. We are undeserving to suffer for your name and yet you still died for us you still made it possible for us to belong for you to you you still made it possible for us to be the tabernacle for uh, us to be the place in which you would dwell in so jesus we just praise you and we worship you for that work We praise you and worship you and we'll always remember what you did for us on the cross. So I pray, Father, as as we walk out of here today, that the gospel message that was just preached, even for us believers, is constantly on our heart and it's constantly at the tip of our tongue as we speak it. That every day we wake up, we remember that you were blameless and perfect and we were not and we were enemies of God And you came and stood in front of us and took on his wrath so that we wouldn't have to. That you gave your life up for ours who were not worthy and saved us. 
Father, I pray in this room right now, if anyone in here is unsaved, if they do not know you, Father, that they would hear that message. I pray that as we go out this week as, as disciples, that we would proclaim that message. That judgment is coming. And that the only way out of it is through you, Jesus, is through our faith in you. And so, Father, I pray that that is what's preached among our people, among this city, among this county, among this state, and among the world. That your message, your gospel, is being preached to the lost. And, Father, when we suffer for preaching that gospel, that we act and abide as you have called us to, to rejoice in it, and to proclaim you and glorify you in it. Let us stand out as we proclaim and, and glorify Jesus while we're suffering for your name, Jesus. That's what we pray for today, Lord. You equip us for that work. You equip us with your word. You lead us this week to have an intimate, deep relationship with you. And you lead us this week to your word so that we can write these truths on our hearts so we will be prepared when suffering comes because you told us, Lord, to expect it. Prepare our hearts and send us, Lord, with your gospel. And we love you, Jesus, and it's your name we pray all things. Amen. Rock Bible Church, you are loved, you are sent. Have a great week.